Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 176th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And for those watching on video, you'll notice that at the bottom of the screen, we have a guest. So I'm pleased to say that Lisa Lee Weston is joining us from somewhere down in the southwest, I think. Is that correct? Um, yes, I'm in Chudley. And yeah, Talking Head Supervision is based here in a small town in uh, Devon. Brilliant. Now, the reason why, Lisa, you and Stan have so much in common, all right? And we, <laughs> we, we this is all going to be revealed over the next half hour or not. But um, Lisa, uh, do you want to just explain who you are and what you do? And that might be a clue for those who watch Frankenstein chat as to why you and Stan might have quite a lot in common. Yeah, and I'm waiting to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, what do I do? Um, I offer external uh, supervision to head teachers, senior leaders in educational settings. Um, five years ago, I was doing that on my own in terms of talking heads of course there are other people doing it um there are now 41 of us uh, doing it all over the country um so that is more than half of my month's worth of work and we're working in specialist settings uh, independent settings mainstream settings um and fe colleges um but I also am the quality assurance lead and help to establish all of the work with education support um in england and wales um and yes that's that has been a phenomenal journey so through that we have worked with over a thousand senior leaders right uh, gosh the last few years and so what, what did you do before this how did you get into this area of work um yeah okay that's a question so with so many layers of answers um Fundamentally, I'm a drama therapist. So for all of my career, I have worked with children and young people. Um, I did think about becoming a teacher, but in my wisdom, I recognised that I really liked the children that would struggle not to be in class. And oh, thought right. that wouldn't make me a very good teacher. Um, and I really love the children and young people uh, who struggle to be in class. Um, and so I've worked with them throughout my career um, and I spent 10 years in the NHS uh, as a clinical lead in adult acute mental health services for people with a profound multiple learning disability um, so those things really fit together I guess in terms of having to think about a system and how it supports people and finding their voices or helping them articulate something um, and I've been a supervisor which begun in the NHS um, for 18 years right. and when I left the NHS and was working predominantly as a therapist, supervision is always in the background. It's like that thing that does something kind of really invisible, but is scaffolding and really supports the person in doing their work. Um, and I was doing a lot of work in schools as a therapist and a bit as a supervisor. And a head teacher made a throwaway comment and I was avoiding writing a dissertation. And he said, Lisa, imagine what a difference to children you would make if you offered this supervision thing that you do for my colleague um, to head teachers in schools. Mm. Oh my goodness. I mean, I can't, it makes, still makes me goose pump. I just think I'm so grateful to him for that comment and my avoidance of my dissertation, which I did get in, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, it kind of has all come from there. So the School for Social Entrepreneurs uh, helped us set up, or me, as it was in 2018, and it's it's gone on from there. But for me, it's all about children and young people. 
what I'm doing. Really, those are the young people's lives I want to change. What's fantastic about that is the connection that supervision has absolutely between children and young people's outcomes and the person who's doing the work and how they are and that that connection is vital. Maybe that's what Stan and I have in common. I think that might be, mightn't it, Stan? I'll tell you my, my uh, pathway into into agreeing with, with what you're saying. Um, okay. I was uh, asked to do um, a profile of leadership for children's trusts when they existed, which involved all the um, services. And they wanted one set of leadership standards that any of the groups could uh, could meet at least, or it was beh- behaviours more than more than uh, standards. Uh, and so I had to look at the police, fire, national health, etc., all their leadership standards in order to pull something together that everyone could recognise and and look at. And I came across supervision in that, it's particularly in the NHS. Yeah, and. The more I read into it, and the more I saw how how this was was enhancing people's work, it just struck me that this didn't happen in schools at all, mm-hmm. and the nearest thing was appraisal, which was which was not anything no. like supervision. So um, from then on, I and Frank will say I'm either about it, but <laughs> I, I just say that there's not the capacity. Schools haven't got the funds recognised funds to say you should be having supervision and I think that should be part of the funding that schools get to say for staff well-being etc there should and for, to some extent for performance there should be an allocated budget for supervision that the school decides who and how it's used um, but of course that's that's never happened. No so no, when, no. as somebody who's I mean I, I think I understand what supervision is but for those who perhaps are not familiar with it, Lisa, is it worth just explaining what that actually involves? Um, yes, in brief, so that we're not here for another four days. <laughs> I get, it is, I mean, you're right, Stan, for me, I, I'm kind of bringing across something that is from health and social care that's been there a really long time, and it absolutely works. To, to Well, that's what I've been piloting, really, to bring it over. Um, and so it is a regular, that is really key, must be regular repeated conversation with someone that you trust um, to hear you talk about in a confidential space who you are how you are what's going on at work it is developmental it is absolutely not crisis intervention it's not counseling because counseling is about you supervision is ultimately no matter how personal it sometimes becomes it will always come back to children and young people um it has the purpose is safeguarding absolutely you know who else in the world the amount of ag senior leaders that will say no one asks me questions that they need to ask me anymore not the ones that really matter they don't hold me accountable in the way that matters but supervision does it's that kind of really deep ethical accountability the reasons that any of us went into helping professions, of which teaching is definitely one, mm-hmm. um, you know, supervision holds us in that place. And it's a, if we're really struggling, if we're really on the edge, which many are right now, one of the reasons it really needs to be regular and someone you really trust is because when we're really, really on the edge, a lot of shame comes in, that mm-hmm. sense that we can't cope. Um, shame is 
difficult enough at the best of times. Mm. It really needs someone safe and a safe space for, to pick that through so that you don't tip into it, shut down, walk away and never go back and have nowhere to take it. We deal on repeat with that place if necessary. And I think, you know, obviously that is a really, really crucial place. But at the other end of the spectrum, it's developmental, it's celebratory. Often many of us are fine at work and therefore we're growing in that place of regularly turning up to supervision and that opportunity to kind of just bounce along, check in what's going on, how am I doing, what am I thinking? Oh, how are you with this month about that thing that you were, oh yeah, that's happened and it's gone this way or it's got, you know, it's it's phenomenal when it's working well and it's a lifesaver for many when things are not so good, which being human is normal. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, go on, Stan, you were going to say. I was just going to say, Lisa, how do you differentiate between supervision and coaching? Yeah, I get asked that a lot. I talk about it every single day. <laughs> <laughs> um, coaching uh, is phenomenal and different because it's usually it's usually short term is and it will be about the coaching. So whilst you might be talking about work and, and it be impactful on the system and children, that's not its primary focus. The primary focus is the coachee, it's future oriented, it's goal oriented. Supervision looks backwards, forwards and in the moment, depending on what's happening. It's very much about stirring the soup, processing, you know, whatever is needed in that moment on that day by your school, that's what gets brought to supervision. It's not kind of bouncing along. Okay, this is session two. We're working through these goals over the next six sessions. That's not what it is. Yeah, I mean, what I think is happening is um, where schools are sort of seeing the need to talk. Coaching seems to be the yeah. sexy thing that we yeah. can train our Absolutely. people to do. Yeah, I don't want supervision to become sexy <laughs> at all. Like, not even. Oh, no. I think no. that's going to be the quote of the uh, of the chat. <laughs> I don't want supervision to be sexy. Perhaps I should not have said that. You know, <laughs> That's it's, right. it's scaffolding. We want supervision. But the thing I care about the most in the world is it kind of not becoming sexy and misunderstood or conflated yeah. because then it will be done badly. And this kind of idea that you it's some sort of add-on training that you can do in three days and it's best done by someone who's done a three-day training. Mm. No, just no. So is it, is it more of a safe place? I mean, I'm thinking I've, when I worked in Ofsted, I, <laughs> I was uh, uh, contacted by somebody, I'd I don't know who the hell they were. Uh, I didn't know at the time. I still can't remember the name. But in effect, what was happening was uh, Ofsted decided that uh, five or six senior managers were going to have a coach. And this bloke, Ofsted didn't tell me, by the way, they were doing this. So this guy contacted me. And as it turned out, I was still a couple of things I learned, but they were very, and, and I valued them, but they're very work orientated. I don't think I've ever had anybody apart from Mrs. Norris or perhaps Stan, uh, who I could actually open up in a safe way to sort of say how I was feeling and, and whether or not I was coping. So is it is it more of a personal sort of re, re, reflection on how you feel and how you can, res, how, how perhaps telling somebody like yourself Lisa which is you're not in you're not actually part of the school you're not part of it you're separate to it I mean is that a key element of it and, and because what's in the head is what Ofsted did was sort of impose something on me you know if you're going to do this in a school setting how do you actually get that rolling if it isn't about 
not imposing, but sort of suggesting, you know, where is that contact point? Where's the first point of contact uh, to make this work well? Oh, there's a lot in there, Frank. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things that I do, no matter how, where we're at now, is that I always put in the first phone call to someone that wants supervision. Um, we don't, we don't, and we have not done any marketing, nor I think, I hope will we ever, it's entirely mm. been word of mouth. Um, and our relationships have grown and people have stayed. That's how come we grow, we have grown. Um, and the, one of the reasons that I'm hearing myself say now five years on that I still do that initial phone call is to try and match them to someone on my team. So I know my team really well. And I also know that no matter how good I am at that, I can't fundamentally account for what happens between two people in a room. Yeah. And I, I really, we all really care about it being right and a good fit, that relationship. So if something doesn't feel right, because sometimes it doesn't, um, I want that person to know they can come back to me. I will take care of my colleague and, you know, because they're still human. I can feel like rejection, even though it's professional rejection. I take care of them. Meanwhile, I sort it out and reallocate within my team. So that's really important. What I've noticed is that now my wish is happening, that we're beginning with, you know, our senior leaders, and then it's really good for them. And they're like, can you see my deputy head? Can you see someone else in my team? Yes. But of course, at that point, they're being told it's good for them. So mm -hmm. that's that thing you're talking about. And so, again, in conversation, if I pick it up, because that's what I another part of the phone call, I can really try to ease that pathway and go, look, I know I can hear you saying you're resistant. I can hear you now saying that you're being told that this is good for you. This is what it is. It's the offer. The person needs to be right. Can we try and, you know, actually, wouldn't it be mm. good to have a place to talk about where? But honestly, if it doesn't work for you and the person's not right, you come back to me. We, we're not going to make you do this. It's got to be right. And so I just try to, from the offset, the very first phone call, we try to kind of ease that possible resistance. No one likes to be told something's uh, good for them, uh, which is why even if schools have one day in their budget um, something that's got the title of supervision on it, I... This people will disagree with me right now. And so that's OK. Um, but I passionately believe that you need really solid, good providers that are experienced out there. So there's choice because one size won't fit all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is nothing worse than having bad supervision with someone you don't. You don't go. People don't go. Mm -hmm. You won't go. And bad supervision is um, undermining. It makes people feel criticised. It's on the edge of something quite appalling it damages confidence you know it's got to be good quality and right for you yeah. and if it's not right for you for you you need to know where to go to find someone else i can remember having a conversation with a social work children's social worker who was telling me some of the horrors that that she had been through and i said i, I don't know how you cope and she said i cope because of supervision yeah me because too i can unload it all <laughs> Um, and I don't, I don't then carry that with me for the mm. rest of the month or the week or the whatever uh, time. No. It's interesting because um, before the chat starts, we always sort of get a feel for what we're we going to talk about this week. But this leads quite neatly, doesn't it, Lisa, into what you've been doing this week in terms of your team and knowing your team really well, because that actually must help you with the matching process and, and actually the development, Stan keeps saying, the culture of your organisation, you know. So do you want to just tell us about, you know, what, what you've been doing this week, which is really what I think has caught your eye? Yeah, I was saying, was I was worried that I haven't been 
outward looking and um, because I've been absorbed from Monday to early Wednesday morning with my kind of newly emerging core team um, because we have grown because of the work with education support and demand at Talking Heads and um, a kind of really learning on an absolute daily basis that the system that I guess Talking Heads is becoming its culture when you know there are 41 of us now and not me what I create has to be absolutely safe mm. nourishing a place of mistakes where people all, all the things that we might think of as a really awful culture cannot happen at Talking Heads <laughs> You know, and that my nourishing my team and the system that I'm creating is everything. Because otherwise, you know, if we are ultimately safeguarding the safeguarders, which is why they come to us, and we are malnourished. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're just replicating that other system that will get no name that passes judgments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And that top system and that culture that is malnourished and ill-resourced, we cannot be that. So my team... They, they need to be loving their work. They need to be trusted. They need to feel safe. They need to know that we're responsive. And we are all those things. But we're now a big team. And so, yeah. yeah I, mean, it's, I, I didn't realise there were that number because actually there is, as, as businesses grow, there are, the, the risks increase. You know, just bringing another person in, you know, who's making the call that you used to make. Creates... Oh, that's not happening. <laughs> so how 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 are you i'm not asking you to sort of reveal you know uh the quality of your team or anything but how do you oh, ensure, how do you ensure though that you know everybody does buy into this this approach and you know how, how i suppose quality assure it but but how do you actually make sure that those conversations are right when in fact you can't be there you know mm. yourself uh no so i guess in the early days when we grew it was um reputational collegiate kind of mm. alignment of values um and then we have partly grown um because of the because i did all of the recruitment for education support that work there and the quality and so people need to have they needed to have over a couple of hundred hours worth of experience they need to have done at least a year's worth of training they need to be on, in ongoing supervision we asked for their supervisor to uh, feedback. We asked for a supervisee to feedback. Obviously, we interviewed and were very thoughtful about those questions. We have monthly drop-ins. We have one-to-one -one sessions every six weeks. Those are all in the calendar. We're starting to have team days, um, Ed Support mm. and Talking Heads twice a year. We're talking. We are talking, talking, talking and asking each other questions. But fundamentally, the alignments are just, it's around values and, and a passionate belief about this making a difference and I wasn't the only one out there thinking this would make a difference to head teachers um so and then the feedback you know no one's going anywhere people stay right. and honestly you know senior leaders are extremely busy you're not going to turn up to something an hour a month that's of no use yes yes no way yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Where, where do these conversations take place? Are they in the school or are they in a... No, you need to get out of school. I mean, occasionally people aren't able to. But again, in my first phone call, it sounds like a very long phone call. I don't think it's too... <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really clear that mostly sessions are happening on Zoom, you know, 
for reasons we can imagine. But I ask them to imagine that actually they are leaving the building and getting into some kind of transport where they in some ways will prepare in that traveling journey and, and of leaving school. They would be met with a tea coffee. No one would burst in on the room. Um, they would turn their phone off. It would be warm. They could probably see some birds out of a window. And at which point I can hear them on the phone going, oh, God, that sounds amazing. I'm like, yes, so please try to plan <laughs> and stay at home or go home. Because actually as senior leaders quite often, they do have that time anyway. So we're also very clear that it happens during the day. This is a work conversation. This is not something we're doing in right, the evening. Right. This is hard work, actually. It's fantastic. But after an hour, you'd be like, can I ask? I mean, I can imagine these conversations can throw up some things that um, can actually be quite painful or or perhaps um, because I I think for me personally, I think that there are some things. Well, everybody's got things in the cupboard that they don't want to reveal, you know, and if you're in that really relaxed position, you know, where you think, uh, you know, obviously everything's confidential, but not everything could be confidential, you know? So, I mean, how, how are those sorts of issues managed? Is it that the, the colleague just steers away from it if it feels as though it's getting too close or is it actually about an opening up um, and a revealing the purpose of sharing ultimately the boundary that always gets held and the contracted reason for the conversation is always the thing that keeps it very safe because it isn't counseling but it's true that you know sometimes we lose people who are who are who are dying or mm. happen at school and and trauma arises in the room again that is one of the reasons why you need to be sitting with a skilled professional you need to know that if something, and I think you're talking at that more extreme moment, that leaves yeah. you very vulnerable, then you need to sit with someone who knows how, how to literally not let you leave the room until you're safe again. You know, if you really open yes. something that leads to shaking or, you know, something that needs then ongoing kind of safeguarding attention around mm. that person. It's so interesting. It's, Stanley, it's in my head here is that this is about good inspection, isn't it? This is yeah. about... This is about skilled people who've been around the block a few times, who who have a sort of a manner and a way in, in which they manage and deal with people. That when we were working in that field, I, I always I felt reasonably confident that the people we were working with had that approach, you know. And I, and I think some of the things you know you were sharing before an Ofsted report that you felt perhaps was a bit unjust and whatever. The unjustness of it might be something else, but actually how it was managed, you know, the whole process underpinning that inspection, you know, for me, that's something that we haven't got. We, we don't have that depth of... Well, I don't hear about that in supervision at all. Never. No. I mean, that never comes up. <laughs> the bit about confidentiality always, and I'm glad what you said was not everything can be confidential because we used to do uh, mentor training for new head teachers where we would pair them up with an experienced head teacher. And when I was watching the the sort of training for this um, as the manager, I heard them saying, everything you say uh, will be treated in confidence. And I had to sort of break in and say, actually, that's not true. If, If you tell your mentor 
that you keep children shut in a cupboard if they make a fuss, they will have to report that. That's not confidential. Yeah. So, you know, confidentiality is a, a funny thing in that you, you want to think it's confidential in that it's between you and me. But if I'm telling you things that are not right, then somebody that, has to. Absolutely. I mean, that is the key from the beginning. That is within our spoken contract, our contract with schools, that we're very clear. Ultimately, it's about safeguarding children, isn't it? Yeah. So actually, if you tell me, and that includes a fitness to practice conversation, you know, actually, if you fitness are... to practice—that's a—I haven't heard that phrase before. A fitness to practice. It's something I'm really passionate about. It is that is a crossover from I know it's not regulated yet, but from HCPC, you know, from yeah. having yeah. in the bodies, actually. And that's where the well-being bit comes in. You know, if we are on the edge of burnout, we are not fit to be at work. And that is a very tender conversation. But it is one we are very clear that we will have. And I get a couple of phone calls a month from my colleagues going, I've just done the supervision. I'm worried this person's, you know, got a plan in place. What do we do? And And so, you know, we have those conversations with each other because that can't stay private that's no, not okay no. what can we do no. to safeguard that person so far it has been the case that we have worked very clearly to help that person recognize what needs to happen next and that they need to go off and that we do a welfare check the next day and every time we have then been able to trigger a kind of support system and mm. you know, it's that that level but that is our job well, let, let's move on. Um, uh, we've captured what, what I think we might have captured what caught your eye this week, but I think it was. Uh, but let's move to Stan. Um, what's caught your eye? I mean, we've, Stan, can I just say now because uh, we've probably got about another ten minutes of this Stan, conversation. I, I, I should keep it short and sweet. Then my my, my week has been uh, full of bureaucratic nonsense, in my view. <laughs> People who who can't get away from from what the rule book says or what what the guidance says to say but this isn't making any sense the example i'll give is uh the bank uh my bank were trying to organize something for me so i could oversee the account of my mother uh this is a a, a special group in the bank so i filled everything out at the branch and then the central unit said ah oh, but the branch haven't sent us what they should send us so I said, well, have you asked them for it? We've sent them an email, right? But they've not replied to the email. So in fact, we've sent them three emails and they've not applied to any of them. So have you spoken to the branch to find out why they're not replying? Well, we we can't do that. We don't, we don't have the facility to, to speak to them. So your solution is to keep sending emails to somebody who's not replying. <laughs> that should sort the problem out. And, and it's that kind of this is what the rule book says i must do um compared to let's let's look at what is sensible here we need to find out why this person isn't responding so let's either let's email somebody else at the same branch and find out if they're okay or you know but to say we can't ring the branch is just for me it's just unbelievable yeah yeah yeah. what's going through my head there stan is when you phone a school up it might be a, a primary school and you, you, all you want to do is speak to somebody, yeah. because, 
And then you think, well, there are seven options there. I'm not quite sure any of them cover mine. So then you, you end up, if, if there's anything else, it's always the last one, isn't it? If yeah. there's anything else, you know, press this button. And then you speak to somebody. But yeah. actually, if you could just speak to somebody at the at the start, they could then press the button to say, well, I think it's going to be number four. You know, but actually, and also I had something with Virgin Media recently where they have this little bot thing. And and so I tried that and it, it, I just couldn't get it to work. And so I ended up phoning. But now you get you don't speak to a person, you speak to like a computer. And and actually what I wanted was a cable so that I could move my Virgin box to another place in the room. That was just too difficult. And you're not then you end up having to send an email. You know, because the system won't won't you know can't understand you, so you're not dealing with a human being anymore. Well, um, I think I think I I'm as guilty and we're as guilty as as anybody else because because of things like WhatsApp. I we have WhatsApp conversations with our children, but it's far far much more easy to win <laughs> and say, "Let's just talk about <laughs> this rather than." <laughs> but they don't answer the phone, do they? Well, their phone's on silent. <laughs> Oh, don't don't yeah. talk to my wife about my phone being on silent. Uh, <laughs> right now, what's caught my eye? Because uh, this week I um, I ended up um, doing a presentation. I haven't done one for a while because just the nature of work. And I used to be I used to do a lot of those, but the, uh, so I was a little bit nervous about doing it. But it was with some future leaders uh, in Nottingham, and uh, I was really struck, I think, by the fact that. Um, that there was this sort of feeling around rebrokerage of schools and uh, and it got me thinking about well the place of competition over collaboration and uh, I, I said uh, you know competitions you know we all have a competitive streak in us but there is a point at which it becomes quite damaging and I said, uh, you know, I, I just the old sort of thing about well is, is it great that there's an outstanding school in a town? And uh, it actually is outstanding because it's creaming off the, the, in effect, the most academic kids from neighbouring schools, which actually means that they're struggling to even get to an acceptable standard. You know, that's where competition has, has really warped into something quite damaging for a community. And uh, I mean, I, I've been down that road a few times uh, and, and actually when I've raised it, I mean, people feel as uh, in the past, people were saying, Oh, you, you know, well, competition is always there. You're never going to stop it, you know, whatever. And I was thinking, well, yeah, we can stop it. We can stop it. We can have it whereby every school has a responsibility for everybody in the community. And the fact that they come to your school doesn't mean to say that you're ignoring what's happening in other schools nearby where you might be able to help, you know, but you choose not to because you want to be the best. You know. that, that was exactly what I encountered when I was working with uh, in one authority with lots of schools and lots of heads who genuinely wanted to work as a community, absolutely genuine. It was a whole plan. We want to work together. We want to be a group. And so I said, so at what point are you prepared to, to move your brilliant year six teacher yeah. to the school down the road who haven't got a very good year six teacher so we can improve things for for those children can't do that yeah not doing that so actually you're not yet committed to what you say you're committed to what you committed to what you, you say you committed to is that would happen we would yeah. share resources but actually while there's that element of 
I could be caught out if if my results drop, then we we can't we can't move forward with this any further, Neil. Mm. I think one of the things that I was struck by at that session was, and I'm going to Blackpool today for my last primary heads and special heads meeting. Is you know when you go to these meetings, you know, I just feel inspired by the ambition and the you know the positivity that these colleagues bring to it you know um and and even though they they're under significant pressure you know there is still that well there's a job to be done you know i still feel when i leave the meetings as if i think i tweeted about you know education is in a good place when it's got these people in charge of schools you know so um you know i continue to be astounded bearing in mind all the rubbish that we've seen, Stano, since we started these in 2020, these chats, there's still people out there just punching well above their weights. It's amazing what they're doing. I, I think if you get to, to their values, it, it's very clear that, that they do share these values and they do have a view. I, I'm, like you, Frank, I'm always impressed when you get a group of heads together and talk about what's possible. But then it gets stalled by... The, the barriers that are bigger than individual schools and even bigger than, than mm. communities. And I know I've banged on about this and I know you have, Frank, forever, but why not let Ofsted judge communities mm. rather than individual schools? So we go to an area, we look at all the schools, we look at the health care, we look at the children's social care, and then we describe what it's like to live here and how things could be improved in that community by... School A doing better results, social workers in this area perhaps working a bit better, more effectively, yeah. rather than individual schools. I, I think EHE, you know, elective home education, and the numbers that are going down that road now are, are increasing. But I think that's going to force that sort of thinking about, well, why are parents and carers choosing to educate them at home? Mm. You know, what are the factors that are influencing that? Well, you know, it's around special educational needs provision in schools. It's about the way that young people are, are uh, the curriculum they have. It's the way they're spoken to. The you know what happens. It's it's all of that stuff. It's it's not it's not that you know this idea that parents have just decided that I'm going to do it at home because I want to do it. I want to be you know sort of different and I want to be alternative. You well, know, they, they, like they can't handle the, the the concerns that their children are bringing home, you know, and they think, well, I can do a better job engagement, here. Frank, isn't it? There's a lack of youth engagement now mm. that that used to be organised by local authorities, and mm. I, I don't know a local authority that still has that capacity, mm. and therefore there were there were other opportunities for young people to meet and do things which encouraged them to work with each other or to be with each other. And it meant school was an extension or the youth was an extension of school either way. But it, it was it was a firmer bond than than we have now because yes. you, you've got school and in some cases you, you're on your own. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the end of edition 176. I can't believe 176 of these, Stan. I mean, uh, anyway, and and the numbers of people watching are, are growing. I mean, it's just fantastic. We we just when we started, just wanted a chat between Frank and Stan. Um, but thanks everybody for watching, for listening. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Lisa, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. I, learned, I mean, uh, we always say the guests are the the bits that people watch for, 
you know that they're not watching for frankenstein wittering on that it's the contribution that you bring you know the the freshness you bring and the insight you bring that i think that makes a difference um and consistently that's that's what people tell us I feel as though now we can we can carry on our crusade to say supervision is something that should be in schools. Yeah, I feel a little bit more informed about it, and I've got somewhere now that I can point people and say, "Read this or look at this." So, what we'll do also is we'll put a little link uh, to your website and to your business at the end of the video, uh, and we'll leave it on there so you can scratch it up on a piece of paper and uh, and make contact with Lisa. But uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, We'll be back, uh, hope all being well, next week. So uh, from all of us, goodbye.